WMNF Tampa. Tune to WMF Tampa 88.5 FM. This is the public affairs program, Community Speaks. My name is Patro Mabili, your host for Community Speaks. And got an interesting show proposal, uh, question to propose to you today. We are exploring the question who is an American? We will hear a short speech by Heather McGee. From the research organization Demos, she believes this democracy has become as unequal as the economy. You'll also be able to chime in today on Community Speaks. But a program note from last week, you heard from H.H. Leonard, author of the book on Rosa Parks, Beyond the Bus, Life Lessons and Leadership. H.H. Leonard is scheduled to appear in Sarasota tonight at Fogartyville Community Media and Arts Center at 7 p.m., she also was a founder of the Old Street Museum in a mansion in Washington, D.C., where Rosa Parks spent the last decade of her life. And you can hear last week's interview with H.H. Leonard by going to the Community Speaks page at WMNF.org. This is your community radio station, and of course, we do want to hear from you, but we want to listen to what came down from our friends over at Bioneer this speech from Heather McGee. Uh, Bioneers is a revolution from the heart of nature. We're going to look into the heart of racism. Around 2044, the U.S. will become a majority-minority nation. And this uh, seismic demographic shift has triggered a cultural earthquake, provoking a radical spike in hate crimes uh, and uh, Times of massive disruption and economic stress, what one philosopher called the shadow side of the psyche comes into play in times like these. The pronounced psychological tendencies in the collective psyche is to project these shadow qualities with unusual potency on whomever people see as, quote, the other. But is there also a deeper story? Perhaps the question to ask is, who benefits? So as we listen to Heather McGee from Demos explore these issues, you'll hear uh, our friends from Bioneer chime in to do some explaining as to what uh, Heather is referring to. But uh, so you'll hear the voice of the uh, people who sent this program, the speech to us. Uh, But this comes to us from San Francisco, California. As Heather McGee deals with this question, who is in America, is this democracy as unequal as this economy? Take a listen here on Community Speaks. And, of course, you can write me, dj at wmnf.org. And you can call 813-239-9663. Uh, Irene will be waiting to take your telephone call. So keep it tuned as we listen to Heather McGee deal with a very existential question Who is an American? Demos is the Greek word for the people of a nation, and it's the root word of democracy. Demos' mission is to work for an equal say and an equal chance for all. 
We address the intersection of political, social, and economic inequality because we know that the inequality of voice in setting the rules drives the inequality in economic outcomes. And we know that inequality has always been built on a scaffolding of racial and gender hierarchy. Heather McGee is a distinguished senior fellow at DEMOS, a public policy organization that works to reduce political and economic inequality. McGee and Demos have helped establish landmark consumer protections and contributed to policies that regulate financial institutions. They've successfully promoted pro-democracy reforms such as public financing of elections and same-day and automatic voter registration, initiatives that became law in a dozen states and Washington, D.C. Heather McGee is encouraged by the advances that progressive movements have made toward achieving equality and equity. But she also believes it's high time that people in the U.S. address the root causes of the extreme inequality that distorts and divides the economy, society, and democracy. Heather McGee spoke at a Bioneers conference. We have to face the fact that a political movement is in power and has been for the past 40 to 50 years throughout administrations of both parties that is stopping us from seeing one another as a demos, as one people, and stopping us from taking collective action to save our collective home, health, and well-being. We know that today, capitalism is writing the rules for democracy instead of the other way around. We know that these rules allow dozens of the most successful U.S. businesses to spend more on lobbying and CEO bonuses every year than they contribute to their country in taxes. We know that while the rules allow a small sliver of people to amass and keep unprecedented wealth, the rules haven't evolved with the changing times in ways that would have given more families a leg up like responding to the premium on higher education with more college grants, not fewer, or responding to the necessity of both parents working, or the rise of single parents with guaranteed childcare, or portable real pensions, or a more generous unemployment insurance system in an era of easy layoffs and downsizing. How is it that the feedback loop just isn't working? That life is getting harder for most Americans over the past couple of generations, and our representatives haven't responded. Well, the answer is that what's happened in our democracy is that our democracy has become as unequal as our economy. Over the course of my lifetime, an entire new industry has appeared, that of corporate lobbyists, for which there are now 24 for every member of Congress. The legalized bribery that is big money campaign contributions has increased by over 600% just since I turned 18 to over $2 trillion a year. Members of Congress now spend one out of every three minutes that they're in office talking to rich people, asking them for money. Combine that with the gerrymandering and a voting system that seemed hardwired to discourage registration and voting, a system that in fact was set up that way during Reconstruction from the Civil War. And after progress with the Voting Rights Act is now getting worse, and you have a system that is democracy in name only. 
Heather McGee says it's democracy in name only when people in the lower third of income distribution have little to no impact on the behavior of their elected officials, when policies favored by large majorities of the public are throttled by political elites beholden to big business. How, she asks, has it become socially acceptable for the wealthy to systematically write public policy and evade taxes, while demonizing economic fairness and public solutions to common problems as unfair redistribution to undeserving freeloaders? How? One way is to invoke the shadow side, stoke white anxiety against the other. It has a long and complicated history in the United States. This, I believe, is where the increasing role of unconscious bias comes into our public culture in ways that are eroding opportunity and prosperity for all of us. Since the civil rights era, we have had a deep and growing anxiety in this country about who is an American. Now, why do I say since the civil rights era? It seems almost counterintuitive. Well, two things happened at once in the mid-1960s. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 finally decreed that the law could not segregate or discriminate based on color, upsetting the social order. And the Immigration Act of 1965 liberalized our immigration laws. Do you know that until 1965, the United States had racial limits on who could legally immigrate into the country? There was a strict limit to the number of Asians and Africans, for example, and even a limit on Southern and Eastern Europeans. The Italians, Poles, and Greeks were considered too ethnic to become citizens. Northern European countries had no limit whatsoever. Think about that. Think about how that shaped immigration. And so when that finally changed in the mid-1960s, the next 50 years saw an amazing transformation in the physical appearance of who is an American. And all of that exponential demographic change really began after the civil rights movement faded. So why does this new diversity matter? to a political movement that relies on Americans' feelings about public solutions to common problems, about economic fairness, public investment, taxes, jobs, and collective bargaining. Why does diversity matter? Why is it that no Democratic candidate for president has won the majority of the white vote since Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. Now, I could tell the story of what has shifted in our economic rules to create this current era of unprecedented inequality without talking about race, and many do. But when we acknowledge that government investment is essential to a, a strong middle class, to prosperity, to the possibility of shaping our economy in the public interest, we have to ask why, since the civil rights era, has the U.S. retreated from the public supports that made our levels of mobility and security the envy of the world? In a way, what's happened to our entire economy since the end of the civil rights era 
is what happened across the American South. After integration, when white towns drained their public swimming pools rather than integrate them, destroying a public good they once enjoyed. For three generations now, politicians have stoked white anxiety about who the public is, successfully linking government to undeserving minorities and gaining support among white voters for cutbacks in public spending and regulation, for withdrawal from public solutions and collective bargaining. My friends, we need a we to survive. And that is exactly what racism destroys. Very much like today's global disruptions, in the late 19th century, an unprecedented wave of corporate globalization caused massive global migrations and racial mixing. Like today, mass social movements erupted worldwide to resist these robber barons. As author Pankaj Mishra wrote, quote, For fearful ruling classes, political order depended on forging an alliance between rich and powerful whites and those rendered superfluous by industrial capitalism. Exclusion or degradation of non-white peoples was a way of securing dignity for those marginalized by economic and technological shifts. Today, Mishra described as revolts erupt against globalization, Politicians and pundits in the Anglosphere are again scrambling to rebuild political communities around what W.E.B. Du Bois in 1910 identified as the new religion of whiteness, the ownership of the earth forever and ever. The religion of whiteness, Mishra concluded, increasingly represents a suicide cult, unquote. This white supremacy ideology is radically out of step with the ground truth of American culture and the arc of today's diverse, interdependent world. But as a social construct, racism has proven to be a reliably effective shadow-side strategy to divide and conquer. I'm sure you're all aware of the studies uh, out of Harvard University of Implicit Bias where you're asked to quickly associate words with faces. And those studies demonstrate that we are nearly universally less able to quickly associate darker faces with positive words, though white respondents found it more difficult than people of color. You know, I want to pause there for a minute to ask why, why do we take for granted as part of our history, why it is that American society adopted this belief in a hierarchy of human value, that people with white skin are better than others. Racism is not inevitable. In fact, the very idea of racial categories didn't take root until the 17th century. It's important to remember, because so much of this history has been suppressed, just how essential to the creation of the American economy slavery was. And slave labor on plantation land expropriated from Native Americans. That is our economy. Historically, the invention of whiteness dates back to 1676 in the Virginia colony, which was then a corporation of the British crown. 
European indentured servants and African slaves joined forces to rise up against the ruling class. At that time, whites and blacks lived and worked together, intermarried and had children. There was more interracial contact then than there is now. Called Bacon's Rebellion, the insurgency was quite successful, causing the elites to begin experimenting with ways to divide and conquer. They tried religion, language, and place of origin before they stumbled upon race. They began passing anti-miscegenation laws, and they taught the newly minted whites that their role was to identify with the elites and to police non-whites. They created a new identity that hadn't existed before. Who benefited? Black lives were the original currency of America, says Heather McGee. By 1860, slave labor produced 80% of the gross national product. At our founding, those in power chose to make American slavery different from other forms, not just indentured labor, but hereditary, inexorable. And they did it alongside these proclamations of equality and liberty that we now hold dear as our American creed. That it is self-evident that all men are created equal, that all men are entitled to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It's a heart-stopping contradiction. The only way for men to write those words while owning other human beings was to create a belief system in which those people were not human beings. So for our first centuries, African Americans were property. For the subsequent ones, and up until the late 1980s, in fact, explicitly racist laws conspired to deny African Americans of property. We live on one of the most biologically and ecologically diverse lands on the planet. We have rainforests and deserts. This treasure that we sing about from sea to shining sea. And yet it is not ours. It has never been ours. We stole it, we killed for it, and we have not made amends. It's hard to admit all of that, to hold all of that, while at the same time holding a vision of we the people and of a country and a population that is worth fighting for and creating solidarity amongst. You know, we have this myth of American innocence. My friends, why is it not common knowledge to us that when Hitler and his regime looked for a model of a way to create a society where citizenship and humanity was cabined only to whites in every single legal, policy, economic inf piece of infrastructure. They looked only to us as the model. And yet, I'm an American. And yet, I, the descendants of enslaved peoples, am proud of my fellow people. How do we hold that? Because if we can't hold a vision of an America worth saving, we won't. I'm 
You're listening to Heather McGee from Demos. Talk about this democracy. Who is an American? The divide and conquer strategies that has kept us from being the United States that we should, uh, that the rest of the world looks to us to be. And I want to hear from you. Who are the new scapegoats? Who are continuing to be scapegoated? And who benefits? That is the big question. Maybe we'll get a chance to listen to the last bit of Heather McGee's speech. It's very important. But I also want to hear from you. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. If you have a comment or question you would like to ask, you can also write me, DJ at WMNF.org. This is Community Speaks. I want to hear from the beautiful community after this break. Do you remember Pac-Man, Sony Walkmans, polo shirts, and acid-washed jeans, MTV? Then you remember the 80s. We are celebrating with Bad Reputation, a WMNF tribute to women who rock the 80s. You'll hear Blondie, Joan Jett, the B-52s, Susie and the Banshees, Kate Bush, and much more. Ten mostly female bands doing over 40 songs from the 80s. See the songs live that you missed the first time around. Inside at the New World Brewery Music Hall, Saturday, July 29th, 7 p.m. Bad Reputation, a WMF tribute to women who rock the 80s. Lots of free parking and check out the patio and restaurant. Tickets at 813-238-8001 or at WMNF.org. You can help WMNF now and into the future by donating gifts of stock, real estate, retirement assets, or a life insurance policy. It's easy to leave a legacy of love. Just call Ian at 813-238-8001 or go to WMNF.org slash giving to get started today. You are listening to Community Speaks here on your community radio station, WMNF 88.5 FM. We were listening to comments from Heather McGee from Demos public policy organization and uh, talking about who is an American. The strategies to keep us divided has allowed this economy and this democracy to stay just as divided. And uh, we have people who are in power working hard to maintain this uh, division. And uh, we know that there are those who want to maintain and make it hard for this country to to vote. Those people are doing everything in their power to make certain that it's hard for all of us to vote. We know that in Florida, here in Florida, the voting, Florida's voters' ballot, mail ballots have, uh, the mail ballots request have been canceled amid this new law. Uh, so you may not get a ballot to vote by mail if you've been requesting one and you wanted to get one, continue to get a, a vote by mail. A lot of people did it during the pandemic, but a lot of people wanted to continue to do it. And uh, knowing that, those who wanted to make it hard to vote decided to make it necessary for you to make the request 
every election. And uh, not a whole lot of fanfare as to the change so that a lot of you will know that and would not end up getting that ballot by mail. And on election day, you have to make a hard choice whether to get up and go <laughs> or make that request. It'd be too late on election day. So you have to go to the ballot, to the polls in person and stand in a long line and not have this um, convenience. And uh, a lot of people think that election day should be a, uh, a holiday so that, you know, people wouldn't have to make hard choices like going to pick up the, to get the children to school or get to work on time or to run other errands that are time sensitive. Yeah, it's uh, it's more valuable. It benefits those who are maintaining power, especially under the guise of keeping everybody divided uh, to continue to make it hard for us to have a voice. But you have a voice. You can call me right here on Community Speaks. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. I want to hear from you about the direction you've seen this country go in in terms of, of its democracy. And is it continuing to be divided or unequal? Do you have equal access to the ballot? Just as a lot of people feel like, especially Heather McGee, feels that this economy continues to be divided. Let's take a, a few more minutes and listen to the rest of Heather McGee's comments. She's from Demos uh, talking about, you know, how the seismic demographic shift has triggered a cultural earthquake and has provoked a radical spike in hate crimes. And every time you start to read the news, you see people in power continuing to give voice to this hatred. Let's take a little bit more of a listen to what Heather McGee had to say here on Community Speaks as you go to the telephones and call us to talk about it. Keep it tuned. My friends, why is it not common knowledge to us that when Hitler and his regime looked for a model of a way to create a society where citizenship and humanity was cabined only to whites in every single legal, policy, economic piece of infrastructure. They looked only to us as the model. And yet, I'm an American. And yet, I, the descendants of enslaved peoples, am proud of my fellow people. How do we hold that? Because if we can't hold a vision of an America worth saving, we won't. And if we don't hold a vision of an America worth saving, if we don't both admit the truth of our racist, sexist, hyper-capitalist past and present, while also reconnecting on a human level with our neighbors and our families, then we will continue as a nation to fall prey to a political ploy that keeps a right wing in power and rapes our planet.
When candidate and then-President Donald Trump began stoking racial, religious, and ethnic hatreds and openly embraced white nationalism, his flagrant othering also provoked an overwhelming public resistance. Massive serial protests and movements have rocked the nation, from Black Lives Matter to the renewed movements for women's rights, citizenship for dreamers, immigrant rights, labor rights, and the denouncing of Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. But Heather McGee says that outside of liberal elite colleges, people often haven't learned about where stereotypes come from in our history, how othering has been used to perpetuate and justify an economic and political order. The nation, she says, is overdue for a truth and reconciliation process in every corner of the country. Who benefits? In this scenario, it's the full spectrum of the people. We have to admit that we are in a moment of racial panic, but it is challenging us to shed the self-imposed colorblindness of our movements and engage forcefully in this question. Who is an American? What are we to one another? We have to admit that this question is harder for us than it is for most other countries because we are the world's most radical experiment in democracy. A nation of ancestral strangers met here with the audacious promise that out of many, we could become one. Everything depends on the answer to this question, who is an American and what are we to one another? Politics right now is offering two visions of why all of the peoples of the world have met here on this land. One in which we are nothing more than competitors and another in which perhaps, just perhaps, the proximity of so much difference will finally force us to admit our common humanity. I don't know about you, but I need to find a way to love this country. And one of the things that helps me do that is because of the beauty of who we are becoming. The fact that by the time I am, goddess willing, nurturing my grandchildren, there will be no racial majority in this country. The fact that here today there is someone in this country claiming citizenship who has a tie to every single community on the globe. That is the we, the people, that I can believe in. The other side is saying that demographic changes are the unmaking of America. We must proclaim that they're the fulfillment of it. We must declare that what they say is a threat is in fact our country's salvation. For when a nation founded on a belief in racial hierarchy truly rejects that belief, then and only then will we have made a new world. I believe that that is our destiny if we have one. To make it manifest, we must challenge ourselves to live our lives in solidarity across color, origin, and class. We must change rules that disrupt the very notion that those who have more money are worth more in our democracy and our economy. In short, we must emerge from this crisis in our republic with a new birth of freedom.
and make it our task to finally knit together a demos, one people out of this nation of many. Thank you. To Heather McGee. This came to us. This speech came to us from Bioneers. Revolution from the heart of nature. She raised a lot of excellent points, and it was a very positive vision of for the future, uh, but a very sobering vision of the past and the present. And we got work to do. Um, we have a lot of white fear in this country, and is manifesting itself politically as it has done for a couple of centuries in this country. And anytime anyone else has a grievance, it's as if the hatred rises even further. So what do we need to be doing to reverse this trend in this country and to become the United States that you, your constitution creed and says that it is? Uh, but I want to hear from you. There's a lot going on in your name in this state and in this country. And a lot of people are continuing to be uh, othered and left out of progress, left out of the economy. And there's a culture war going on in order to maintain this stance. And uh, it has to be it has to be fought against. There's a there's a necessity to talk about equality, not culture wars not continuing to give voice to the culture wars. Uh, there's a lot of people, as a result of the pandemic, decided to empower themselves on the job in, in terms of getting better pay. And there's going to be uh, worker strikes continuing to build as workers continue to find their voice. And the best, most successful worker actions are when people stand together, uh, not divided. And uh, we know that the Hollywood is in the middle of a, a strike right now, but we might see uh, similar strikes coming from other essential workers that, throughout this country, uh, UPS maybe, uh, package handlers, uh, postal workers. There are a lot of people who are looking for empowerment and looking for their voice. And, uh, but there are also those in power who want to demonize them. Uh, we are one people. That's what demos means, which is the organization that Heather McGee, who we just heard from throughout this hour, is uh, representing. 813-239-9663. This is Community Speaks. Uh, we know that we have a governor in this state who's running for president, and he has revealed in his zeal to make the U.S. Florida uh when we have a lot of problems in the state of Florida, 
and uh, nobody is willing to give voice to it. But I know that the insurance crisis, the housing crisis, there's growing homelessness. And so this economy continues to show signs of inequality. And uh, no matter how much we raise our, our voices, you know, the ruling class continues to stand against it, stand together against it. So, but there are times when the workers' voices get loud enough to make a difference. We're going to see workers continue to test their power in the form of strikes as the summer goes on. It's, I expect it to be a long, hot summer for worker action. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. And uh, I'm not sure if you're calling right now because I didn't set up for that, but I think you are. Uh, there, There's a lot of lights uh, uh, blinking, so I'm certain you're calling. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. Or you could text me, 813-433-0885. 813-433-0885 and you could also write us dj at wmnf.org I read your your letters your emails on the air and I'm going to go straight away to the telephone line to see what you have to say Art from Tampa is waiting to, to talk and let's see what Art what Frank has to say rather then we'll see what Art has to say but Frank in Tampa you say what you know Community Speaks Hello, uh, I like your show. Thank you. Uh, I think this is very important what you're talking about. Thank you. Amen. And I want to say, um, I just retired. I did 40 years in the military, and I have, and I, I'll, but I was reservist. Mm -hmm. My civilian job is computer graphics for television production. So I have a lot of friends on the left, and I have a lot of friends on the right. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple friends that are crazy MAGA, you know, Republican nut jobs. And I've learned how to, you know, if you yell at those people, that that's what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they if you do that, you take the bait. So what I've learned to is um, throw them a bone and admit stuff and hear what they're saying. And they think they have it so bad. You know, they think that they're being... Uh, they, they they think that life is bad for them, and I'm and I'm saying you it's the lowest unemployment in 50 years. You have a house, you you have stuff, you know, and they think that their life is so terrible. But they, or, you know, I don't, they're delusional. They're delusional, and I think that it's how do we get this? I think it's information, yeah, education that. You know, how do you get through to somebody like that? Well, you have, they have to want to be gotten through, too, because, you know, if you start making sense to them, they'll just run to their, their media silo where they can get what's making them feel good uh, to get somebody to repeat what makes them feel good, the things that they want to hear, the division, the, the othering, and the scapegoating. And I think, you know, they'll... That's just entertainment for them. And even though they're angry, they're entertained because clearly a lot of what's being fed to them doesn't make sense. Yeah. Did you see in Miami when um, 
there was the court when Trump was down there in court, and the uh, the guy from uh, the TV channel was talking, was interviewing some of the protesters, and it, mm-hmm. and he said it was clear they hadn't heard of any. They only got all of their information from Truth Social. That's it. Right. He was asking them stuff about basic things, and they had never heard it. Right. Right. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. And you know what's going to happen? You know, all this talk about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. We need to, I, I think the fear about artificial intelligence is that it's a warning to humans that humans, y'all better hack yourself before I come in and do it for you. Because <laughs> look how uh, a politician like Trump, he hacked half the country and he's an idiot. Imagine what artificial intelligence can do to half the country. If an idiot like Trump can do it just by speaking. Yeah. You can put words in people's mouths. You can make the you can make AI make a person who you hate appear on the screen even though that's not them. You know, so yeah, they can manipulate it a lot since they want to be manipulated. There are those who are waiting to do so, and you're right. But, you know, I just think that at the end of the day, they still have to face reality. And, you know, I just don't know what their solutions are. It, you know, it's not a solution to just keep going and supporting uh, a reactionary or a divisive figure like 45 and this governor because eventually their policies should catch up with them. I'm looking at Florida and how mostly the Republican constituency was impacted by the hurricanes and now we have an insurance crisis in the state of Florida that this governor has no answer for. It's true. You can't even get homeowners insurance. Right. And, but but don't you find it interesting that he, the governor DeSantis, instituted this new thing to uh, kick out all the illegal workers and half the roofers in Florida are undocumented right. and they want to leave and you can't get your roof fixed after right. a storm. And those are business owners. That, you know, I don't know if they're Republicans or not, but that, that's the thing that Republicans want to play it both ways. They, yeah. they claim they claim they don't like immigrants and they claim they want to close the border. But it's really them that are using all of that labor. Free and cheap labor. Yeah. It's like the one of the. There was at least one antidote that came off that bus, one of the buses, that first bus that went to Martha's Vineyard. And uh, one of the guys came back to Florida to work to, in a hurricane response. And so the whole trip was a waste of somebody of taxpayer money. This guy found his way back to Florida and was working. So it, It's crazy. Yeah. And this whole doublespeak, like um, uh, Boebert went on... TV complaining about how our infrastructure is crumbling and we're sending all our money to Ukraine. But guess what? She voted against the infrastructure bill. <laughs> yeah. So the contradictions should catch up with them. But, you know, you're if you are a diehard MAGA voter, you're not paying attention to those contradictions, I guess, until they hit home. Well, how can we get this? Uh, I, and I think in school, I think our school... Our schools are obsolete. We need to stop teaching what to learn and start teaching how to learn. 
Because mm-hmm. teaching your kids a bunch of stuff to memorize, that's not that learning worked. anymore. That's that's obsolete now. That used to be, when I went to high school in the 70s, that's exactly what it was. Well, there are a lot of great teachers who, who've long understood that. But again, they come under, they're coming under threat if they go step out of line in any way. So The teachers said they're quitting because yeah. they're afraid of these stupid laws now. They're afraid of what they, a kid can't even come up to them and ask them something. Right, right. So, you know, it, the contradictions will catch up with us. Frank got some more callers to get to, but I certainly wait, wait, enjoy it. Let me leave you with one last thing. Mm-hmm. We we were in Afghanistan for twenty years yep. trying to fix trying to fix that culture. And why don't you look here at home and we can't even fix our own. Mm-hmm. Right. Think about that. Yeah. A lot of people have been okay, thinking about that. Thank you, Frank. Eight one three two three nine nine six six three. This is the community speaks public affairs program. I'm taking your telephone calls. Go ahead, Art from Largo. You say what? I say, may I introduce a different topic? Quickly. Okay. In our country, if there are two ethnic groups that can identify with what the Palestinians are enduring on a daily basis, they are the African Americans and the Native Americans. So my question is, why do you think both are silent on this issue? Why African Americans and Native Americans are silent on the Palestinian issue? Exactly. Well, I don't know if anybody's asking them, but, you know, those are, those are, that's a conflict that has long been going on and it has some complexities to it, even just on the Palestinian side alone, that, you know, require, you know, some greater understanding. But, yeah, I think if somebody talks to them about it, I think they will respond. There are a lot of people who go to places like New York and talk about, the Palestinians and what they've endured and some similarities between groups here. So it's not unthinkable for people to talk about it. Maybe not as much lately because, you know, these groups have been scapegoated in this country once again. Mm-hmm. I think you brought up uh, an excellent point. Maybe we are, those of us who support the Palestinians who should be uh, talking more to these two uh, ethnic groups. I think you're right. Uh. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, great. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Art. 813-239-9663. We'll go and see what Simon has to say in Lakeland about being an American. Go ahead, Simon. How you doing? How you doing? It seems as though we're living in the malice maleficorum here with these callers. I, I would think that if you raise the cap of a mega follower, you, you might see a six underneath that <laughs> you know but um on what art has to say what i find more uh, which is an intriguing question is what would the country have looked like if a palestinian by the name of sirhan sirhan would not have killed robert kennedy that to me is a very intriguing question on on the aspect of what is an american I wonder if Heather McGee would answer the question, do you think that this country should have two national anthems? Would she disavow the black national anthem? Well, I mean, a lot of people have 
try to understand what's the whole point of that national anthem. It just talks about one war of 1812, but you don't have to disavow one to appreciate the other one. I mean, doesn't need two national anthems either, but if black people want to sing the black national anthem at a at a football game, then it shouldn't be controversial. I mean, given the history in this country uh, and the fact that we didn't just migrate or immigrate, that there was an economic uh, reason behind it. So I think that chattel slavery gives the black national anthem some reason to be. And I don't think, you know, people who disagree with it when Shirley Raff sang it at the Super Bowl, uh, they just want people to go away, be silent and go away and have nothing to complain about when they're, you know, rather than listening to the complaint, listening and trying to find some common ground, which is what McGee was calling for. I would think, given a country and national values, there would be commonality among who we are as Americans. Indeed. As far as, as far as the education, you're never going to get an absolute direction because you have induction and deduction reasoning of how people gather information and how they make their critical thinking of that. You, being a black man, are going to take the perspective different than me as a white man. Maybe, okay. maybe not. Depends. Let's see what other people have to say uh, before we run out of time. Simon, Janelle, uh, Jeanette, rather, from Gulfport, you say what about this governor? Um, well, I just noticed that when uh, I was listening to the ending of the show, and you had said something like, you know, like, I, I gathered you said something like nobody or not enough people are speaking out or doing much, mm-hmm. or how, how can we be more vocal or whatever, but I'm thinking that, you know, after white light, uh, Black Lives Matter protests, you know, DeSantis made a law that said that we can't protest anymore. If we protest, we do this, that, or something else, we're going to get arrested. And mm. we're, we're, he's, he is um, ending free speech and, 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 and you know, yeah. we can't get together anymore. I mean, we can, but we, you know, we're very discouraged from it. Right, Florida, which and, is the point, yeah. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I'm just saying, well, you know, we're becoming a fascist state if we're not already a fascist state, 100% fascist. But, you know, I mean, people, somebody said something to me in Salvation Army today when I was shopping about, you know, how the immigrants are making everything a mess. And, I mean, in front of everybody. And, like, I don't think anybody would have said that many, many years, you know, hmm. maybe five or seven years ago, um, just out there in public being totally rude when there's other people, races, ethnic, ethnicities, everything, standing in the line. And then she's just blatantly like, you know, those those people, mm-hmm. those immigrants. And I know, you know, who she votes for just by what she said. <laughs> yeah. So I just didn't reply, but I mean, I'm like, I wanted to say, well, how American of you to say something like that? <laughs> I know. I but mean, it's like... Yeah. I let it go, but I just thought, you know, I I don't hear people talking like that in other states that I've lived in. Right. It, it just goes to show you that the leadership is 
it's causing this spiral downward politically in this exactly. state. Exactly, and I'm really sad about it. Well, we as a people, we're going to have to just keep speaking out about it. We're going to have to just keep pushing back. I mean, I know. I that's, know. that's how we win. It's true, but you know, when you do push back because of fascism, people are going to jump all over you. Uh oh, no, no, no disagreements here, no fighting, no, we can't have a debate, no. Just, just move on. Just don't say you're, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we can't talk anymore about anything. Yeah, it's hard, but you know, in people are so contradictory right now, and. Are just willing to, if especially on the right, they're they they're jumping down everybody's throat because they're not on the right side of history. Exactly. So when you're wrong, you get mad. <laughs> That's true, but you know they're they're they feel they're the one percent that feel like they're in charge of everything and everyone. Yeah, that's how they feel, but that's not the case. That's not true. That's right, but you know if I would stand up and say something, which I'm usually the big mouth in the room, most other people just shrink away. They're yeah, afraid. because they so, need your leadership. Some people just need to be led. And, you know, you sound like me. I'm going to get up and I'm going to say it. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to say it too. But the thing is, is that if nobody backs you up and everybody looks at you like, oh, you're causing trouble, you're causing chaos, we don't want any problems. Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. And then you're just like, okay, so I'm the only one who's making any sense. I know it seems that way, but no, people are just <laughs> shrinking away. We're out of time, Jeanette. I certainly enjoy Thank talking you. to you. Uh, Julie, you got one minute. Hey, Julie. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, I uh, was born in 1961, and I and I just recall there needed to be a lot of changes. And there was yeah. very vocal people and peaceful things. And uh, I know that some faction of America doesn't like change. Right. Um, but I think we need to go back to basics and develop a moral code and, and fix our infrastructure and uh, work on that um, and uh, bettering yeah. our society before we uh, stick our nose in other places where they don't belong, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm just a peace lover and I just like to look out for, you know, just uh, I just hope everyone learns from this about having a moral code to look after their neighbors, mm-hmm. the children, the animals, the elderly, right. you know, um, we're all human beings. Right. That's how we make a better world. Look out for everybody and everything. I've even been listening to old music. They had the same message back in the 60s. I know. Isn't that great? (laughs) Yeah. Have a good day. Thank you. You too, Julie. Well, 